0: Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And Lord, we thank you for the precious, holy, written Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And Father, right now we pray that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Lord, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Father, that we might know what is the hope of the calling. Uh, Lord, what is the the glory of the inheritance of the riches of the saints, Father, and what is your power toward us who believe. Father, we... Ask you, Lord God, to help each heart to be good ground that will receive the seed of the Word, that will bring forth fruit, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. And Father, we thank you that you confirm your Word with signs following in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this evening we're going to continue a series we started, I believe this is the fourth week we've been on it, and we've called the series Overcoming Identity Theft. And we're going to do a little bit of review. We want to, keep, we want to make sure that when we're looking at this that we're keeping our focus on you know because we are teaching in a series if as a standalone teaching wouldn't necessarily take so much time for review obviously but we are teaching along this subject and so we want to make sure that we you know have you ever been in a conversation with someone and the conversation goes on and you're standing there and you're thinking what are we even talking about now sometimes hopefully you know sometimes it's because you're just not really that interested in what they got to say now, hopefully that ain't the case here, right? Because we're talking about the Word of God, amen? We're talking about the Word that produces faith in your life, faith that moves mountains in your life, faith that enables you to live a life that pleases God. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. And so that's not the thing. But we want to make sure that we're staying focused, that we understand what we're talking about. We're talking about overcoming identity theft. And, and we, when we introduce the subject, we talk about how that um, if if you have something... Thank you, Brother Kirk. So we've got some handouts over there if folks are interested. Uh, we're, still, we're teaching off of handout two, but we have some copies of number one if you want it just for uh, reference. But we were talking about how if you have something, if you're given something, you, you have uh, you know, a piece of equipment, uh, some piece of uh, computer equipment, mechanical equipment, and you don't know what it was created for, and you don't know how it's supposed to function, Then it gives you a greater opportunity that that piece of equipment that you have may be abused. The boiled down version of what I'm saying is if you don't know something's purpose and you don't know how something's intended to operate, then there's a chance that you might mess it up by operating it or attempting to operate it in a way it wasn't designed to be operated. Uh, You know, you have some pieces of equipment that if you try to you know, engage gears on something uh, without having a clutch depressed on something, you can actually uh, force something into gear and maybe mess something up. Why? Because you don't understand how it was designed uh, to operate. And so we're saying this, say, how does that relate to identity, our identity, uh, Pastor Brian? What I'm saying is, is that God gave us our identity. Mankind had an identity. And somewhere along the line, and and we're calling this series Identity Theft because identity theft is something that, you know, it's a crime that's on on the rise in the United States. People are on guard for it because if somebody steals your identity, it can be real inconvenient. It can cause, it can cost you a whole lot of money to to remedy that and it can cause lots of problems. Well, mankind had their identity stolen, uh, actually surrendered their uh, identity. Adam surrendered it in the garden. And mankind, and God has been attempting ever since then to get man to, uh, overcome, He's, well God has done, actually done everything that needs to be done for man to overcome the identity crisis that we've had. And so, we want to, through this series, basically this is teaching you who you are in Christ. How many of you know that when you made Jesus Lord, when you became born again, this is some scriptures we touched on, the Bible says that you were baptized into Christ. And we said that, that word baptized literally means to be wholly uh, engulfed or enveloped in a liquid. So what it's saying is when you became born again, you know, in the Bible, we'll see these verses, we'll probably touch on some of them, you, you died, you passed away from your old life, and you were baptized by the Spirit into Christ, and your identity changed. You went from being one thing to being another. And so and the church in large has done a very poor job of teaching people who they are in Christ. And so as a consequence, you've got people who are born again believers that they still don't know who they are. They've got a a, a warped perception of who they are. They think that one day, in the sweet by and by, they're going to be something. But down here, they're still just a worm. They're still just an old, old sinner. They're still just a worm, and they live that way. They live that way. They allow your your thinking, your your self perception, can determine how you live. So, what do you mean, Pastor Brian? The Bible says, "As a man thinks in his heart, so he is." And and I was reading today. How many of y'all are doing the uh, the uh, the chronological one-year Bible reading plan. That chronological one-year reading plan. we were reading in Numbers when Moses sent the spies into Egypt, and they came back, and, or I'm sorry, he sent the spies into Canaan. And when they went into Canaan, they came back and they said, oh, we saw all these giants, there were giants in the land, and when we saw them, we were we thought of ourselves as grasshoppers in their sight. You ought to read that. If you, if you didn't read that, you should read that. What does it say? Is that they went in and because they saw their self... Now you understand, this is the people, they are the children of Israel. And I say this all the time because you need to get a hold of this because this is, this is who God saw them as. Israel. What does that mean? Prince of God. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Remember the angel wrestled with him? And he said, "You're not going to call yourself Jacob anymore, but your name's going to be Israel, and Israel means Prince of God. So here are these children that God, God all the time calls you things that you might not think you are till it soaks into you who you are." I'm going to say it again. God speak, God calls you things different than what you call yourself, and He'll speak it to you, and until you get a hold of it, till you speak it over yourself, till you believe it, you'll never walk in the blessing of it. Oh, Pastor Brian, give me another example. Abraham. His name was Abram. He was 75 years old and had no children, and God said, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Pastor Shane, I think Ty needs some help uh, getting back to class. They're in class, right? Or are they? No, they're not. They're not listening. Okay. All right. I thought we had a class. Amen. God called him Abraham, and Abraham meant father of many nations. Well, here's Abraham. He's 75 years old. Now, a lot of us would think, oh, God's a joker. (laughs) Good one, God. 75 years old, no babies. You call me father of many nations. God called Abraham, your name is no longer Abram, you're Abraham, I'm calling you father of many nations, and Abraham had to go around introducing himself to everybody he met for 25 years, hello, I'm Abraham, oh really, where's your kids at, father of many nations? Well, I don't have any yet. Oh, Oh, okay, and you're going to make some, right? Abraham, God called these people the children, they were the children of Israel, they were children's Children of the Prince of God. And God had made them a promise, you're going to go in this land and you're going to possess it. But they went and they refused to accept what God said about them. And guess what? Every one of them, they did not enter into the promised land. They did not They did not uh, obtain the promise that God made available to them. The very thing that they were delivered from Egypt for. Uh, for. I mean, God delivered them by His mind. He smote Egypt with plagues. He parted the Red Sea and led them through on dry ground and destroyed Pharaoh's army so that they said, now your enemy's defeated. Go on in and this enemy's defeated. He doesn't have any more power over you. Now go into the land of promise and obtain it and take what I've given you. And because they said, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. We grasshoppers. Oh, these giants in the land. We can't do that. Guess what? None of them obtained the promises of God and they died in the desert even though... They were people who God said, you're the children of the Prince of God. There are people today who are living lives of defeat and low este- they don't esteem themselves highly. They live a life of defeat. Oh, I'm just a worm. I'm just a wretch. I'm just a little old tiny weakling. They don't Because they don't know who they are in Christ and they'll live their whole life and they'll never know that the provision of God has been made available for you. Huh? Does God? Is the Bible true or is the Bible just a joke? Is the Bible true or is it just a book of fairy tales that we read and say that we halfway believe? Because I believe the Bible when it says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus, I believe you can take it to the bank. And it doesn't matter what your checkbook looks like, it doesn't matter what your bank account looks like, God said He'd supply your needs. And this is the thing, if it don't happen then the first thing you need to look at is, well, God lied. No. Look and say, did I miss it someplace? And this is the thing. Don't think that it's something that's so far-fetched that you can't ever get it because we ended up last week talking about as many as are the sons of God, they are led by the Spirit of God. Amen? You are His sheep. If you're born again, you're His sheep. You hear His voice. Now, there's some things you can do to make yourself hear His voice better. And one of the things we mentioned was just staying stuffed full of the Word. Because the Holy Ghost won't, you gotta give Him, you gotta give Him something to speak, right? You give Him, you put, you hide the Word in your heart. That way when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, the Holy Spirit is always gonna confirm the Word. The Holy Spirit's never gonna say anything that confirms the Word. That does not confirm the Word, excuse me. If the Word says, God's gonna supply your needs. If, the, if you hear a voice say, oh, you ain't gonna make it. Hello. Big red fire truck. Here's your sign. That's not the Holy Ghost, right? Because the Word says you're going to make it. The Word says I know the plans I have for you, plans to, to prosper you and not harm you. But here we, But there's still there's people who are born again believers, born again spirit filled believers, that they go their life, and because their identity's been stolen, they don't know who they are in Christ. They never obtain any of the promises. And you understand that the blessings of God do not just fall on you like ripe cherries falling off a tree. Now, this is the thing. I'm going to say this, and I'm to, I promise you I'm going to get to some scriptures we're going to get on this. But I'm, just, I'm laying some foundation for you. Do we, is the Old Testament, is, is the Old Testament, does the Bible teach us that the Old Testament is a type and shadow of the church? That we look to it and we can learn, okay? The children of Israel... They were God's covenant people, right? They were, they were Abraham's seed. They were in covenant with God. Was there times when they cut themselves off from the blessings of God because of their disobedience? Yes. Guess what? They were still Abraham's seed. Right? They still had a covenant with God. God said in Isaiah, He said, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. This is the thing. You realize you can't be obedient. You can't be willing and obedient to anything that you're ignorant of. Because I've said this before, ignorance and faith are impossible roommates. It is impossible to say you have faith in something that you do not know. You, if you're going to have faith, you have to know some things. I've shared this example before, but I'll share it again. Uh, Ed Cole one time was doing a men's meeting at a football stadium. had 50, 60, 70,000 guys there. They were all hollering, we're men of God, we're men of God, we're men of God. Woo, we're men of God. Said, we believe the Bible's God's word. Woo, hallelujah. Said, we believe the Ten Commandments. And the, and, the, and they all went, Woo, we believe it. And he said, How many of y'all can name all ten of them? And a hush fell across the crowd. And he said, Let me ask you something. How can you say you believe in something that you don't know what it is? Seriously, if we say if we believe in the Ten Commandments, how many of us right now, we can name, we, we can name all ten of them? No, we don't have to. I'm just saying you know if you can or not, right? Okay? But you have to know something. This thing, if you're going to know who you are in Christ, because that's all that matters. It does not matter. How you see yourself is irrelevant compared to how God says He sees you. And it's our place to dig in God's Word and to know what God says about you because how you see yourself is going to determine how you act, How you see yourself is going to determine what you attempt to achieve in your life. What you think you can do for God. Well, you know, nobody in my family ever amounted anything to God. Big deal. Maybe that was your earthly family. What about your heavenly family? Because your pedigree changed, baby. When you, when you made Jesus Lord, your lineage changed. All you got to do to find your family tree, your family tree had the Savior hanging on it. That would be a revelation to some of you. Your family tree, Jesus was hanging on your family tree. And that's as far as you need to go back to get your identity. But we want to take a look at a couple of key Scriptures, and then we're going to move on. Uh, the, I, we want to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I call, we call this the Dominion Commission. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in His own image, and in the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. Notice it says male and female were both created in the image of God. In Christ there's neither male nor female. What's that mean? Women are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful And fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And there's so much you can get out of this verse. God said, let us. Who's He talking to? The Holy Ghost and the Word. Man, there's a lot in this. There's a lot in this. But we see God in the beginning, God gave the dominion commission to man and He said, I have created the earth, and you notice. As you go back and you read Genesis chapter one. God, you know, God caused the waters and the land to separate. He said, "Man, it's good." God caused the, the plant, the animals, the plants to, to come upon the earth. He said, "It's good." He said, "Let's put some stars in the sky. Let's put the moon up there." Man, it's good. And then He created man. and Said, "Man's good." He said, "But you know what? We're gonna give man dominion." And that word dominion literally means rule or reign or authority over. Okay, you were there. Turn to Psalms chapter eight. First time, some of you, the first time you hear this, if it's the first time you've heard it, you might think, wow, that almost sounds like blasphemy. You'll understand why the people that translated the King James Version of the Bible couldn't bring themselves to do it. It says, <clears throat> Psalms 8, verses 1 through 4. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who hast displayed thy splendor above the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and and the revengeful cease. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou hast, that thou dost take thought of him, or the son of man that you care for him? King James Version, and I believe the New King James Version says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. How many of y'all, your Bible says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels? Raise your hand if it says that. Your Bible. King James King James Version. Okay. It says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. That word angels in the Hebrew, get your strong concordance, look it out, because remember, the Brians were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? We said this last week, because they daily searched the Scriptures. The most important education that you'll get is, is your knowledge of the Bible because that's where your faith is based on. Your Hebrew, your strong concordance. Thou hast made him, man, a little lower than the angels. It's the Hebrew word Elohim. Some of you might be going, what's that mean? In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The same word that's translated God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it's this word in Psalms 8, 4. What is man that thou hast taken thought him? The son of man thou hast for him, if you have made him a little lower. The New American Standard is what I'm reading out of. It says, yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Verse uh, 6 says, thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands, and have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Now, the reason we want to use these two texts as key texts that we're looking at is to get you to see God has a very high opinion of man. You understand this, we, this and you can't get away from, from the original intent. Remember, God created the earth, God created man, placed him on the earth, did we not? We read this in Genesis. Let him have dominion over the works of our hand. Then in Psalms it said, "Let us." He said, "What is man? mind of him you have created him a little lower than Elohim. You've made God made man a little lower than God and placed him on earth and gave him dominion over the works of his hands." And you understand this? We were created in God's likeness. And in His image and God's original purpose and His original intent is that man walks in authority, has dominion on the earth, has authority over every creature on the earth and over the entire earth. Notice God didn't tell man you're to have any authority, exercise any authority or dominion over other men. Or women. Amen. God did not design man to rule over man because God's intention was He's the only one that is intended to rule over man. Amen. Now some people don't get wacky. Some people get wacky and say, see, I don't got to be submitted to a pastor. No, God ordained authority. God has ordained authority, but it means you don't exercise dominion over someone else. So God has so we can look at these two scriptures and see God has a very, very high He places a very high value on man. Why? Because we were created in his likeness. We were created in his image. And so, we talked about how that when uh, Adam sinned, sin entered the garden, and when that happened, the Bible says that when when Adam sinned, death, the Bible says in Romans, that death entered the world through one man, who's that? Adam, right? We read over in Luke chapter 4 where Satan was tempting Jesus, and he said, look, he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. He said, because... All this authority has been surrendered to me. Is been del- That word delivered, King James verse says, All this authority has been delivered to me. That word delivered literally means it's been surrendered to me. Well, who surrendered the authority over the earth? Who was given to it in the first place? Adam, Man was given authority over the earth in the first place. Okay? Because God didn't give the devil the authority. God surely did not surrender authority of the earth to Satan. Okay? So we see that God placed a man in the garden, gave him this authority. When Adam sinned, death entered the world. The Bible also says in Romans, the book of Romans, around the sixth chapter, says, whoever you yield yourselves servants to obey, their slave you become. How many of you know if you're someone's slave, everything you own belongs to them? Oh, you might think you have some stuff, but all your stuff belongs to the person that you've made yourself the slave. And so Adam, when he chose to not obey the Word of God... He yielded himself. How many of y'all remember this word yield? Just think about it. If you're driving down the interstate and you're wanting to merge into a lane and you've got a yield sign and someone else is coming, that means you've got to stop and give, and you've got to defer to that other person. You've got to let them take the lead until you get out on the interstate and then you can hammer down and blow past them, right? Okay. Right? The Satan, but the Bible says, whoever you yield yourselves servants to obey, their slave you become. And so Adam yielded himself to, to Satan. He gave that authority to Satan. And so Satan stole that. And when Adam lost that, we said we're looking at specifically three things, three broad categories of things that Adam lost when he sinned, when sin entered the world. One, The first thing was relationship. The second thing we're going to talk about is purpose because really relationship and purpose... Are are very closely connected. There's a lot of overlap, really, because when you know when you know who you are, it determines what you do. I'm going to say that again because that went. Whoosh. When you know who you are, that determines what you do. See, the world's got it backwards. Sad thing is, most Christians got it backwards too. We think that what we do determines who we are. You're you don't find your identity in what you do. Oh, come on now. Are y'all here? y'all ready to go home? Your identity is not in what you do. Your job does not give you who, what your identity is. Your relationship with Daddy, your relationship with Abba, Father, that's what defines you. Because you know what? You can be unemployed and you can go through a period of unemployment and it, if you're not careful, you're going to think, oh man, I ain't nothing. I'm just some unemployed slouch. What good am I? Why you're you're attaching your identity to what you do when what when you're when what you do is supposed to be attached to your identity, who you are in Christ, huh? You're a child of God, but Adam lost his he lost his relationship with God, he lost his purpose, and he lost access to the blessings of God. And so we've been looking at the past couple of weeks, we were looking at relationship, and we're going to talk this a little bit a uh, little bit this week about. Like I said, it's relationship, but it's overlapping into your your purpose. Overlapping into your purpose. Now, let me finish this thought before I move on. We said that God in the beginning, God created man in, in his likeness and his image. Then and read your Bible. Don't take my word for it. Read your Bible. After the fall and after sin entered the world, the Bible says, And Adam had sons after his likeness and image. Man you know. All of Adam's children were not after God's likeness and image. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Brian, but if Adam was made in God's likeness and image, doesn't it just make sense that all of Adam's children. No, no, no. Because something happened. The mold got marred. There was a, the, the mold got broke. The mold got. A, the, the cookie cutter got dinner. Remember, I used that example of cookie cutter. Cookie cutter got broke. So after, after that point, and then every cookie that was cut out with that thing bore that, the, the marred image of sin that was passed on from Adam to his children. And so, But Jesus came back. Jesus died on the cross. And Je- what Jesus did on the cross was so much more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Amen? That the church has reduced it to. That we've sold it to people. And if all we're doing is telling people, man, don't you want to ask Jesus into your heart so when you die you don't go to hell? Well, duh. Okay? who? Do- no, no, that's okay. I-, I want to go to hell. I'm actually looking forward to it. I live in Michigan. It's cold up here. No. We've done that. Or... You make it something that the only benefits when you die. Let me ask you something: How many of y'all want to go out? Are funerals expensive? What I mean, a, a decent casket's what, four or five thousand dollars? That's cheap. I mean, four or five thousand dollars. Okay. What? So let's just say a, 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 a moderate. You know, it's been about ten years since I've had to make any funeral arrangements for anyone it's about twelve thousand dollars and it'd be probably say say fifteen thousand dollars easy right let me ask them how many of you in here right now, now i know there might be some people in here that are very very good planning people and you've already done it you're already taking care of some stuff and and kudos but let's just say this how many of you right now if you if you haven't already done it are looking forward to just running out and dropping fifteen thousand dollars and going ahead and picking out a casket and go ahead and doing all this stuff i know some people free rate how many of y'all ready to do that you want to do that Well, why not? Well, I don't really want to think about that and have that expense until it's time for me to die, right? Right? Okay. If all we're doing is presenting what Jesus did as a get-out-of-hell-free card, because you understand this. A lot of people that aren't even born again got better sense than some people that are Christians because most people will realize that living for Jesus is going to cost you something. Don't knock me down with the amens. Don't shout me down because I'm doing some good preaching right now. How many of you all know that most people, if they're out drinking and partying and doing drugs and having a good old time, you know, think they're having a good time, they're just gratifying their flesh, doing everything their flesh wants to do. They know, man, if I'm going to go ask, if I'm going to make Jesus my Lord, I might have to stop this stuff. If people are out running around fornicating and just, you know, laid up with whoever they want to, whenever they want to, you know, they say, mm, well, you know, if I go to church and I become a, a Christian, I'm going to have to stop this. So I got to, it's going to cost me something. So if what I'm purchasing... Now, stay with me. You're going to see my comparison to getting your funeral stuff taken care of. So if what I'm purchasing is going to cost me something that I'm reluctant to, to, to let go of, your money or your sinful lifestyle... And what I think, and what I'm purchasing, I think it only has a benefit to me when I die. I'm gonna put off getting it just as long as I can. Can you see that? But what Jesus did on the cross was so much more than just get out of hell free card. We used to play a video, a welcoming video that said, Jesus is a live life to the fullest card. Amen? Jesus is, Jesus is, 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 the, is, Get in right standing with God. Allow the blessings of God to come on you. Get your relationship restored. Discover your purpose. Discover your place in the kingdom. Walk in the blessings of God. Walk in victory. When there's mountains that get in your life, you speak to the you speak God's words to the mountains and you make a move. All oh, that sounds so optimistic, Pastor Brian. It's the word. It's the word. I'm telling you, when something comes up against you that contradicts the word of God. Do we believe do we believe this is the book or do we buy the the, the limp wristed, spineless little mamsy pamsy theological explanations? They explain it all the way. It's something to me that we won't believe God's Word. We'll believe some excuse that some theologian made up for why God don't do something. The same kind of people that want to say, oh, God didn't really part the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. And it was only water. It was about ankle deep. We'll listen to the same theologians. We will... People will laugh at theologians that will try to explain away every miracle of Well, you know, God didn't... It was just a coincidence that Sodom and Gomorrah... I've read this garbage. It was a coincidence that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because it just happened. It was just this huge coincidence that a volcano erupted in the vicinity of of Sodom and Gomorrah the same time that the angels were there. And so that what destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was actually uh, lava and and a volcanic explosion and ash and everything like that. And most of us will laugh at that. That. Most of us that believe the Bible is God's Word will laugh and go, Man, that's ridiculous. Won't you just yank the guts out of every miracle that Jesus did? We'll laugh at that, right? But then we'll read something else in the Bible that says something about God meeting these, about God's gonna do this, about God saying, you speak to the mountain. If there's something in your life that doesn't line up with what God's Word says, don't judge what needs to be done based on your experience, but you, what does the Word say? And it doesn't matter what your experience has been, and it doesn't matter if a hundred, you face something a hundred times, and a hundred times it's panned out that way, For God's sake, at least pretend like you can learn something from God's Word and get some faith and say, you know what? I'm seeing some things in the Word that says it don't have to be this way and stand on it and speak the Word and stand against it and fight it. Because either this is God's Word and we can stand on it and we can believe it, and if God's Word says that I cause you always to walk in victory why do you walk around expecting to get beat all the time? Woo! Glory to God! I'm a little fired up this evening about that. If God says, I see you as a winner, why are you walking around with your head hung down thinking, I'm such a loser? God's already said, you're a winner. God's already said, I have caused you to walk in triumph in Christ Jesus. Why are you walking around thinking less of yourself than what I've already said about you in my Word? Oh, well, I'm just being humble. No, you're not. That's the epitome of pride. I've said this before. If God says you're one thing and you say, no, 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 I'm another then you're elevating your opinion of yourself over what God's Word has said, and that is the highest, that is the, that epitomizes pride to think that what you think of yourself is more importance to you than what God's already declared about you. You need, you need a good healthy dose of who you are in Christ. Amen. And last week we went over, we were talking about, I'll just give you the verses real quickly that we looked at. We're talking about your relationship. Bible says in John chapter one verses uh uh or I'm sorry, uh John chapter one verse twelve says, Everyone who receives Jesus as Lord receives the authority or the right to become the sons of God. Galatians three twenty-six says, All believers are the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans eight fourteen and Galatians four six says that we can cry Abba Father, and that word Abba is a Word that is an affectionate reference to daddy. It is a, an indicator of a child that has an intimate relationship with their father. You're not just, you know, the headed stepchild of God's family. You're able to call him Abba, Father. Um, Ephesians two twenty one says, "We are no longer strangers and foreigners, but citizens and members of the household of God." Ephesians uh, one uh, 3 through 6 says we are predestined in Christ to the adoption of sons. Amen. We won't get into a lot of the details. We talked about some of that. Amen. And then we ended up, really, we, we rushed through some verses. We actually ended up with the bulk of the teaching with Romans 8, 14 through 15. says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Okay, so this is overcoming identity theft. You need to know who does God say you are. Take a look this evening. Turn to 2 Corinthians five seventeen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. Your translation may read a little different. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. The Bible says, You, if anyone, is in Christ. Now remember, how did you get in Christ? Huh? The Bible says you, that when you made Jesus Lord, that you were baptized by the Spirit into Christ, and we've said that word Christ, it literally means the Anointed One, or His Anointing. The Anointed One and His Anointing. You were baptized, you were placed into the body of Christ, and if you are in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creature. Look at, look, look at, point at yourself and say, I'm a new creature. You're not, despite what you might have been taught, you are not an old sinner saved by grace. I mean, I used to think this, I used to say it, and I'm going to tell you what, you're fooling yourself not to think that it doesn't impact how you see yourself. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. The truth of it is, you used to be an old sinner. You got saved by grace, and when you receive that grace, and remember, grace is benefit and favor. Scratch the unmerited part. I heard it all myself. It's God's unmerited favor. You're adding to it. The word grace just means benefit and favor. It would be silly to argue that we didn't deserve it, but you know what? People that don't focus on the undeserved part, we all know that, right? You don't have to be reminded that you did something to deserve it. This is the thing: if you keep telling yourself it's unmerited, it's unmerited, it's unmerited, it's unmerited, it's key. to me that's a key that someone's got a you've got a greater consciousness of your sin than the than the consciousness of who you are in Christ. You were an old sinner. You got saved by God's grace, His benefit and favor. And when you got saved, the old person that you were died, because the Bible says that if he died, that when he died, we all died in Him. I'm going to back up and read a verse to you. This is a good one, man. Whoo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's back up to verse 14, Second Corinthians 5:14, because this this tells us a little bit about our purpose too. Do you know that you don't determine your own purpose. The Bible says in Ephesians, it says that God places us in the body as it pleases him. If everybody wanted to be an eye, amen, we'd be walking around looking like, you know, have a hundred eyes in your head to the body, right? God places people in the body as He wants to. God determines your purpose. Our job is to find that purpose. Now you understand this not we are all called to the ministry. we may not all be called to fivefold ministry. We might not be called to pastor or evangelist or teacher or apostle or prophet, but all of us are called to the ministry of reconciliation but our the the it, our task and not your mission should you choose choose to accept it or not? I remember the old spy TV show. You say, your mission, was it Mission Impossible? Your mission, whether you choose to accept it or not, is to discover your purpose in the kingdom. Because God doesn't have to make His mind up. You realize that before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye, before God even said, Light be, and boom, the earth was created. Before the foundation of the earth. The Bible says before the foundation of the earth, God knew you. He knew the purpose He had for you. God saw in... Countless thousands of years of eternity past. God saw this moment. God saw this time. God saw Jimmy Matthews. And He said, I know the purpose i got for Him right now before He's even thought of. Before His great, 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 great great, great, grandpa is even thought of. I know Him. I see Him. I've got a purpose for Him on the earth. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, Having concluded this that one died for all, therefore all died, in other words, when Jesus died on the cross he didn 't you understand this he didn 't have any sin; he took on the sin of the entire world. The Bible teaches that all of our sin that God imputed he placed on Jesus Christ, just like in the Old Testament when they 'd bring that sin offering or they 'd bring the sin offering, in, and the priest would place his hand on that animal 's head and and it would symbolically transfer the sins of all the people of Israel onto that animal and then sacrifice it. When Jesus hung on the cross, God placed His hand on Him and placed the sins of the of the entire human race from Adam to the last person breathing until Jesus comes back and establishes the fullness of the kingdom. He placed all that sin on Jesus and Jesus died and paid the penalty for all of that sin. This is the thing. Anyone who dies and goes to hell, their sin, their sin will not send them there. Their failure to accept Jesus Christ as Lord is what sends them there because their sins have already been paid for. So Christ died for all, verse 15. And He died for all that they who live, listen to this, should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. We have so candy-coated you want to know why the world doesn't respect the church today? You want to know why people in America don't respect the church today and most Christians are just considered a joke and we don't, and, and nobody even esteems the church as anything. And most people in America that don't go to church don't esteem it as anything serious. Because, because panty-waist preachers have got up and candy-coated what it means to be a Christian and we've watered it down and candy-coated it to the point to where just you know, yeah just as long as you come on down to the altar, baby, and shake the hand of a six-foot icicle and put your name on the church book, and then you can just go ahead and just live your life any old way you want to and just go on. You can go your own way. And who sang that song? I don't know. Huh? Who? Fleetwood Mac. You can go your own way, right? You can be like Frank Sinatra. You can do it your way, right? Huh? That, and, and we think that's what it is. And people will go and they'll profess. And the greatest obstacle, and I mentioned this several months ago, the greatest obstacle to people getting born again today are people who profess to be believers with their mouth and they turn around and by their behavior they live a way that contradicts everything they say they believe. Do you understand that you don't belong to yourself anymore? Let me read verse 15 again. Maybe your translation says something to your mind. You. It says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You don't belong to yourself. You got bought back. You got, re- that's what redeemed means, right? And so God has restored this relationship. You are a new creation. I like this. I was studying this. You know, we talk about original intent. We talk about original purpose. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Man, I thought this was good. That word creation, one of the means that it actually means original formation. I'll say it again. If any, that word creation, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That word creation means original formation. Remember, we said God is what Christ did. His intention was to get man back to the original purpose, the original intent that He had for Adam in the beginning. And I'm telling you, when this, when this thing is over, when, it, when, the, when there's the consummation of the age, read your Bible, read your book of Revelations, that gold city that, that John saw coming out of the walls of Jasper, the gates of Pearl, the streets of gold, it was coming down from God, out of heaven to the new earth. Is that what the Bible says? Then how come we're talking about going and living in heaven forever? Does that really change anything? Uh, the Bible said Jesus said, you know, He goes to prepare a place that where He is, there we can be also. So all I say is, wherever Jesus is at, I'm going to be there also. If He's in heaven, we're going to be in heaven but if he's, a, but the Bible and, and believe me, when you die, you're gonna to go to heaven for a while, right? But the Bible says the new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven. Peter said, "I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth passed away, and he saw a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness." Why is God gonna create a new earth just for it to sit here empty? Because the original purpose was, I create the earth, I place my man in it, I give him dominion and authority over the earth, and they live on the earth. I have fellowship with them, and they rule on and rule and reign on the earth. Your Bible says in the book of Revelations that we shall reign on the earth as kings. It's all about getting it back to the original formation. Any man is in Christ, he is a new original formation. Amen? Let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Looking at who you are in Christ. Who are you? 1 Corinthians chapter six. We want to give you this verse real quick, verse 17. Now, this is uh, this passage of scripture here, just to give it to you in its context. Um, they're talking about Paul is talking the Holy Spirit through Paul is speaking about how believers, your body belongs to the Lord, and how that uh, because you understand there was a teaching in the church that uh, what was that your spirit was all that was important, and what your body, what you did with your body really didn't matter. And so, you know, if you were into fornication, it didn't really matter. You could be born again, your spirit could be pure, but you could do whatever you want. Because it was a philosophy of the day. It was a mixture of the world's philosophy with the church philosophy. And that philosophy in the world was, uh, the name of it's escaping me now, uh, but. It was that your, that your spirit was all that mattered in your flesh, that all matter and your flesh was evil and your spirit was good and pure, so it didn't matter what you did with your body. And so he's telling you, look, you can't not, you can't be out, uh, you know, being a shagging machine, huh? You can't be out hooking up on the weekend and sleeping around with whoever you want to and, and saying, well, I can, my body, it doesn't matter. He says, um, I'm going to start with verse 15. says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that one, listen to this, that one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her, for it says the two will become one flesh. That word joined, it literally means glued to. Do we all get the picture? Is The Bible says if a man takes a wife and they're joined together, they become one flesh, right? Right here he's saying, look, if you go hook up with some harlot, and it can literally literally mean a prostitute or just a promiscuous woman, that you make yourself one flesh with them. Kind of lets you know what, what it is that actually makes the covenant of a marriage, right? Well, I just thought it was going down talking to Justice of the Peace or saying something in front of the preacher. No. You're glued. Listen to this, and he says... But the one who joins himself to the Lord, same word, glues himself to the Lord, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You need to realize when you got born again, you were spiritually dead, you were born again, you became one spirit with the Lord. How, how else are you, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians, that, you, that we... The church, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Not we will be, but that you are now. Because why? Because who you join yourself to in the earth, you become. Mm, thank you, Lord. You become one flesh with them. Who you join yourself to spiritually, you become one spirit with them. I'm going to drop this on you. Who you join yourself with soulishly. Or in your emotions, or in your mind, or your intellect, you become one soul with them. See, Some of you'll get that. Some of you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Who you allow yourself, who you allow yourself, your soul to become joined or glued with, you're becoming one soul with that person. Some of you are staring at me like a cow looking at a new guy. You'll get it. You get it. Amen. See, Pause and think about that. But the point is, it said if you've made Jesus Lord, when you made Jesus Lord, you were joined to God and you're one spirit with Him. Amen? First um, Peter. Now, this is where we're getting some transition from just relationship where relationship and your purpose is kind of overlapping here a little bit. Because remember, I said your relationship, your, re- your identity determines what you do, not, what, not the other way around. Cause how many of y'all know? How many of y'all have had more than one job in your life? How many have had more than one job in your life in different fields? Okay, brother Jimmy used to. He, uh, brother Jimmy Ruby used to work for Lowe's and he and he uh, he sold uh, home improvement products and construction uh, products and stuff like that. And well, guess what? Now he's working in the restaurant business. But before that, he worked in some retail, right? Brother Kirk, brother Kirk's doing sales now. What's some other stuff you've done, brother Kirk? He's he's done laundry. He's done retail. Brother Chuck, man, you've done lots of different things. How many of you know your identity didn't change every time your job did? You're who you are. Do not allow yourself to, do not hang your identity on what you do. You understand, as Pastor Earl said this and this, this is good, your, your work is not your job. Huh? your job is your purpose in the kingdom and the job that you've got is the avenue that god has blessed you with to have a channel of, of income to your family but it's also the sphere of influence that god's given you to take your purpose that's in the kingdom and when and when you go to work you do your job which this is the thing it means you work heartily as unto the lord and that you don't preach on the company dime i mean you can talk to people and you should you know if you if, if you're a cook cook and preach at the same time, but you can't cook and preach at the same time cook because your employer ain't paying you to preach and when you go in and you do that, you're bringing a reproach on Jesus because you look like just some freeloading preacher who wants to stand around the coffee machine and preach all day and not do your job. And, I know, and I've seen people it, because I've worked in places where people have done that you got a 15-minute break, and you end up standing in there for 40 minutes sharing your testimony with someone. Well, guess what? Nothing that's coming out of your mouth is going to do anything to, to repair the damage that you've done is standing in there milking the company of 25 extra minutes uh, that you should have been working. Whew, I'm going to move on. I'm meddling now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Pastor Brian's worked there before. Amen. And I've done that. So let's just go ahead and take any condemnation off, off anybody. I'm going to say, here it is. Here it is. Pastor Brian's done that before, and the Lord's had to rebuke me for it. Okay, so if you've done that, don't feel oh man, Pastor Brian beat me down. Okay, I've been there. All right, so get over it. All right, I done told you I've been there. I did it. Right. All right. First Peter chapter two. Amen. Y'all still good? Can you hang with me for a few more minutes? You want me to shut it down? First Peter chapter two. First Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Talking a little bit about your identity, you realize that you are an alien and a stranger. That word alien it actually means a, a, a resident alien. In other words, you ain't from around here but you live here. Your origin isn't right here. Okay, and this is one of the hot topics in America going on today. Illegal immigration. Illegal immigration. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you, I think you ought to come into the country legal. Okay? Because if my great, 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 great grandpa had to come across the Atlantic on a boat and stop someplace and come into the country legal, you know. I saw a, cart- I saw a political cartoon one time. It was hilarious. It was one of the funniest things I ever saw. Had a couple of Indians sitting on their horse, looking out at the ocean, seeing the, the the Nina, the Penta, and the Santa Maria coming in. You know Columbus's boats coming in, and landing. And one Indian looked at the other and he said, "Darn illegal immigrants." <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I ever saw, right? But you understand, but the, but you understand this: even if people come into this country illegally, you know God spoke very plainly. And how many of you all know, some people say, well, now we ain't under the law. Well, I know we're not under the law. But how many of you all know that the character of God in the Old Testament, He doesn't change, does He? Okay, what's changed is we don't go kill animals to pay for our sins anymore, right? But the character of God's consistent. God spoke very plainly in the Old Testament to the children of Israel about when you've got foreigners that come into your country, you treat them good because you were foreigners in a strange land too, and you treat them good. And you don't mistreat them, and you don't take advantage of them. Okay, like I said, I'll say I think the people who are coming into the country they ought to respect the rules, and they ought to come in legally, and they ought to make their entrance in. But you understand this: that even if they, even if they just swam across the river or crawled through the rat hole tunnel to get here, we don't have a right, we don't have the right, and we don't have the excuse to mistreat them or treat them like they're less of a person. I mean, because Jesus shed His blood for them just the same as He did for anyone else, right? So, but he says in this verse, he said, "You, you are." He said, "I'm beseeching you as resident aliens." Peter's saying, "You need, you need to realize something here is that, we, let's just go ahead, let's read on a little more. I got, I've got to build this up before. i want to lay a little bit of foundation for you, okay?" Philippians 3:20. You can just write this down. You don't have to turn there. Philippians 3:20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. I know some people, you know, oh, see, here we go now. Heaven's our home. Well, heaven is our home, but let's go ahead and let's read on a little bit more here. Let me read something else to you. 2 Corinthians 5.20, write this down. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, You are, and we're talking about this is getting more into our purpose, and it's, it's directly connected with our relationship. You are ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. So let's let's take a look at all three of these together. Let's take a look at this together. Let's try to get this big picture on this. You're an alien and a stranger to this world. You are a citizen of heaven. And yes, even more than just a citizen of heaven, you are an ambassador of heaven. Now let's, let's, let's take a look at this. A resident alien. Help me, Lord. Help me get this out. You understand that You, you can, you are a citizen, if you are a citizen of the United States of America, you go to any other country in the world, and you are still, your citizenship doesn't change. Your locality changes. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and you really need to get a hold of this. Because I'm telling you what, this will take a whole lot of anxiety out of, uh, you, I'll just put it this way, you hang hanging your hat on a flimsy nail if you hang in your hat on the fact that you are an American citizen. Because the United States of America is a great country and they ain't nobody, they ain't, they, the refugees ain't going the other way. I heard old Hank Williams Jr. song one day. USA Today was the name of the song. He said, he's talking about all the, singing a song about all the problems in the United States of America. He said, but, he said, but you won't see those refugees heading the other way. You know? They ain't people getting on inner tubes trying to float from South Florida to, to Cuba. But there's people in Cuba. Uh, trying to get on inner tube brass and float to South Florida, right? There ain't nobody digging tunnels from North to South to get into Mexico. All the tunnels are being dug South to North. Okay? But you cannot hang your hat on the fact that you are, I'm an American citizen. Our, the correct mindset should be, I am a citizen of the Kingdom of Heaven who happens to live in the United States of America. Why? Because... His is the only kingdom, and you understand when we say kingdom it is, it should be a very easy thing for us to realize he's talking about a government. I don't have time to get into I don't have time to get into it again, but I'm telling you if God's talking about government, God is interested in government because government government and religion are two sides of the same coin anyway, right? because the intention is to control the behavior of of the adherents or the sub or the people under the control, right. Remember this? I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on. When Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, you know, the idol with the head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, stomach and brass and legs of iron, did that, what did that represent? Did it represent religions? No, kingdoms, it represented governments. Stone cut out of a mountain without hands, smote the image on the feet, destroyed the kingdoms, the governments of the world, and that stone grew until it became a great mountain that filled the entire earth. What Jesus Christ did, and you, you understand this, you search your Bible. Jesus only preached the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Because he was the stone that was cut out of the mountain and he was coming in direct conflict and his full intention was to destroy and to replace the kingdoms of man. So, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to read this to you real quick. Because sometimes we think we understand words that we don't. Remember, pastor says this all the time we use words. Just the ability to use a word in its context does not mean you understand what the word means, right? Just means you're intelligent enough to hear something in context and know how to say it. Citizen. Citizen is an inhabitant of a city or town. Listen to this. Especially one entitled to rights and privileges of a freeman. If you are a citizen of a city or a town, you are entitled to rights and privileges. I, I saw a movie one time that, that said this, and I know that it's historically uh, based. The comment that they said there was—they differentiated. It was this futuristic society, but they differentiated between citizens and civilians. In this movie. In the movie, and it was historically based. It was based out of history. What they call people. If you were a citizen, you had access to privileges and benefits. Oh, oh, yeah, and you were able to vote too. But if you were just a civilian, you didn't have the... You were someone who operated within that society, but you didn't have the full rights and privileges of a citizen. Here's you an example. Were the Jews... Subjects of the Roman Empire. Yes, right. Here's your example. Paul, when Paul was uh, captured, when Paul, remember, when Paul was going back to Jerusalem, and he was going to go to the temple, and the Jews got him, and the and there was a big ruckus, and they were going to uh, they were going to come out, and they were going to try to kill Paul and the Roman centurion came. The Romans came and they got him and they took him and they received an accusation against him and the, and the captain said, you know what? Just take this dude out. You know He's a troublemaker. Tie him up and let's scourge him. Let's give him a couple of lashes and let's just let him go so maybe he'll walk straight. And they, remember, they were, remember, read your Bible, book of Acts. Paul, they're getting ready to take him out and they're getting ready to whip him and Paul says, are you going to whip me an uncondemned Roman citizen? And remember, the guy asked Paul, he said, um, "How did you come about your citizenship?" Because the captain, the centurion, said, "I'm a Roman citizen, and I had to pay for it with a great price to get it. It cost me a lot of money because you could buy your citizenship." And Paul said, "Yeah, it's expensive to buy your citizenship, but I was born a Roman citizen." And that was when the guard went to the centurion and he told him, he "said Man, you better look out because this guy you're getting ready to whip, he is a he is a Roman." And because he was a citizen, Paul had rights and privileges as a citizen of Rome that just someone who was just a subject of Rome didn't have. Because you understand, someone who wasn't a citizen didn't have rights and protection under the Roman law. Remember when Paul, remember when Paul was before Felix? And he said, I want to appeal my case to Caesar. Because they were just holding him indefinitely. The guy was hoping that Paul would pay him off a bribe so that he could get some money from Paul. And he would let Paul go. And Paul wasn't going to pay him. And he just tried to keep him indefinitely. He said, well, you know what? We'll just ship you on back down here to this other person's jurisdiction because he knew Paul would get ambushed and get killed. And Paul said, no, 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 no. He said, I appeal to Caesar. Because Paul, Paul wasn't a dummy. Paul was a very spiritual man, but Paul was a very intelligent man too. And he knew how to be over in the spirit, and he knew how to play things over in the natural to his advantage, too. He said, Nope, I'm appealing to Caesar. Why? Why? Because he knew as a citizen of of Rome, I'm a Roman citizen, I have access to privileges and benefits that a regular that someone that's not a citizen doesn't have. You need to realize that you are a citizen of heaven and that you have access to privileges and benefits. That people who don't know Jesus... this is the th- Let's just make it this simple. Everybody in here that's married, right? All the married couples in here. Y'all realize, husbands, that as a result of your covenant with your wife, that you got access to benefits and privileges, wink, wink, that nobody else should have access to, right? Why? Because you're in covenant. And one of the things about covenant is, is you have, you understand that when you're in covenant with God, that as a result of that covenant, you become a citizen of heaven. And because you're in covenant with God, that God has benefits and privileges that are available to you, but not to people that aren't in covenant with Him. And it's more than get out of hell free. I'm gonna, I'm going to wrap this up real quick. I'm going to give you. I'm, I'm going just hopefully whet your appetite a little bit on this and get you want to come back. Okay, so we're aliens and strangers. Why are we aliens and strangers in this world? Because our citizenship, and you understand that we said this, the citizen, it means that we are entitled to the rights and privileges of a free man. Understand this. Oh, man, this is good. Here's some, here's some, I'll give you some other definitions for citizen. Is a member of a state... Okay, there's no glamour to that, right? A native or naturalized person who owes allegiance to a government and is entitled to protection from it. So if you are a citizen of a country, you have access to benefits and privileges that non-citizens do not, and you are entitled to protection from that country. You are a citizen of heaven. Amen? Uh, Get this. Ambassador, man, I'm, I'm going to give you this and I'm just going to run off some stuff here real quick and we'll pick back up with this next week. Ambassadors, how many of you know if we're going, if we're going to call ourselves something we need to know what we're supposed to be, right? You are an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. I'm, going to re- I'm just going to read these right off to you and we're going to finish up. Do you know that no one is an ambassador who still lives in their home country? To be an ambassador, you actually have to... Your citizenship is in one country, but you live in another. The U.S. ambassador to Haiti does not live in the United States. He lives in Haiti. The U.S. ambassador to Russia does not live in the United States. He lives in Russia. God's ambassador to the world does not live in heaven although their citizenship is in this. the ambassadors of America. Although they may live in Haiti and they may live in Russia and they may live in Israel or they may live in any country of the world, they their citizenship is, a, is from America, but they don't live in America. You are an ambassador and you are a citizen of heaven, but you don't live in heaven. And God never intended for man to live and never intended heaven to be man's long-term home. Amen? Ambassadors represent the government of their home country. Listen to this. They only speak their government's official policy on matters. Ambassadors are honor-bound that they don't have the right to speak their own opinion about anything. Do you know that ambassadors can live in a country and they can personally... I'll guarantee you we've got ambassadors right now, some of them that were appointed under conservative Republicans and some that were appointed under uh, more liberal Democratic presidents. So they got, and guess what? There are people who are ambassadors right now that were appointed by George W. Bush, whose foreign policy, because the, the President of the United States is the sole organ of U.S. foreign policy, that their, that their own political views... Do not line up with the current administration because how many of you know politically they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Republican, Democrat, conservative, maybe a little quick on the trigger, liberal, maybe a little not anxious to do anything militarily, right? But how many of you all know that the same guy that got appointed by George W. Bush to be an ambassador, guess what? If he wants to keep his job very long and he wants to accurately represent his government, he don't say what the old administration said, and he doesn't even speak, well, my opinion is, you know, I know President Obama says, but this is my opinion. Guess what? That's the way you end up not being an ambassador anymore. Even if you personally disagree. Well, how many of you all know that our, the person that appoints you as an ambassador, that administration ain't going to change. It's God, the king. The king appointed you as an ambassador. And you don't have a right to speak your own opinion. This is, I've said this before. God's the only person. We've heard people talking, you know, talking trash. Say, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. How many of y'all have heard it before? I want your opinion. You little wagging little thing. I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. God's the only person that can say that, and it carries weight. God says, if I, I give you your opinion, my, my belief is your opinion. Understand this. Ambassadors educate other people about their home country. Ambassadors develop relationships with others in the country to which they are assigned ambassadors, this is a good one right here, ambassadors are always to represent their country in a positive light. Amen? That's just I'm giving you the highlights, and I'm going to end right there. We'll pick back up with this next week. Amen? But you are ambassadors. Your citizenship's in heaven. You're ambassadors. You're foreigners and strangers on the earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you.